18 months. And today was no picnic. I've had all sorts of computer hassles that would normally just go quite easily. But I have a website, as you probably know, but another website, if I put a code word on that website, people know to pray. So we've had churches in America, in Australia, and in Yorkshire praying for us tonight. And it's a good reminder that we do have the victory, just that when we're going through it, we forget. And, uh, yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we do indeed have the victory. And we do thank you that you have uh, communicated to us through your written word. And now as we come, give me clarity of mind and of thought and a clear voice and help each one of us as we discuss together this passage to learn more about you and how we can apply it to our lives. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And tomorrow is Chinese New Year, if you didn't know. So, Happy New Year. But more importantly, tomorrow is also Australia Day. <laughs> and that's when all Australians are supposed to celebrate the arrival in Botany Bay of the First Fleet in 1788, marking the start of British colonisation of Australia. <laughs> of course, since then, Australia has been getting their own back and they've been sending people back over to here. <laughs> so if you would turn in your Bibles, not to Leviticus chapter 13 as Bruce would hope, we're not going to talk about infectious diseases tonight, but if you would turn in your Bibles to page 679 to the Song of Solomon and chapter 2. I of course don't know if you have read it, I don't know if you have ever heard a talk about it, I think I've only ever heard about one sermon and all the sermons that I've heard through the years about Solomon chapter 2. So if you're in that category, this is new for you. And in my preparation as I talk to other Christians about this book, I've found that some people are aghast at some of the very uh, frank and provocative and sexual language that is used. But this should not stop us from reading it, studying it, and learning from it. It is, after all, part of the Bible, and it is therefore part of God's written word. Jesus himself and the disciples would have read this book at Passover. Jesus would have read this book at Passover the night before he was betrayed and given over to hang on the cross. And it is a book that tells of the love of a, of a young woman, the beloved, for a man the man probably being Solomon. And different translations have different places where the beloved, the lover and the others are actually speaking. But for ease of use tonight, we will use the guidelines of the church Bibles, which is the New International. And the Jews called this book the greatest song of all songs. Martin Luther called it the noblest of all songs although he would, probably would have said that in German. It's poetry that is full of love, romance, and some say eroticism, greater than Shakespeare's sonnets, if you can believe that. Richard Dawkins wouldn't, but that's okay. He's not exactly a romantic person, is he? 
But tonight we're only delving into chapter 2. And historically this book has been interpreted in three ways. Firstly, as a treatise on the joys of biblical sexual love. Secondly, as an allegory for God's love for his people Israel. And these two interpretations have great merit. However, some of you may be sad to know, and others very happy to know, that I'm going to concentrate principally on the third way that encompasses these two ways, and that is seeing it as a picture of the immense love that exists between Jesus Christ for his church and for his people, where the bridegroom is Jesus and his bride is the church. And Paul highlights this relationship in his letter to the Ephesians. And before I forget, I should say that I'm also aware of another difficulty, and that is that British men and Australian men have one thing in common. We're not very good at saying or doing things to do with love. Well, I'm not anyway. Just ask young me. We find it embarrassing and cumbersome. The French are supposed to be good, but they're French. I don't know about South Africans or any other nationalities. So hopefully with the help of the Holy Spirit, this may also make us become better men as well, as well as feeding our minds and our hearts about the love that exists between Jesus and the church. So let's hear what it says. We'll read from verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall and his banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. This is the beloved's portrait of her lover, the bridegroom. He's an apple tree amongst all the other trees. Not a gum tree, not an oak, but an apple tree. Wives, have you ever called your husbands an apple tree? Perhaps you should. That's, that's the point of the sermon. No, it's not. And of course, he is an apple tree because this lover, this bridegroom, provides her with shelter, with protection and with food and she enjoys it, the food of love, delighting in being strengthened, refreshed and being in love. And as he embraces her, she feels his compassion, his warmth, his love for her and his strength. But how does that talk of Jesus and his love for his church, his people, his bride? And I have two things. Firstly, Jesus is the bread of life. Three times in John chapter 6, Jesus refers to himself as the living bread. And by this he meant that he was the only one who could satiate the appetite and yearning of every person's spirit. For those he was speaking to, bread was a basic staple food for living. A basic staple food for living, just as it is for millions of people today. 
Jesus indicates when saying he is the bread of life that he will supply all needs. Just as he said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 that whoever drinks his living water shall never go spiritually thirsty again. And when Jesus referred to the manna in the desert, he talked of it being merely temporary, despite being a gift from God. He, however, as the true bread of life, gives permanent satisfaction and life everlasting to all those who believe and follow him. Are you following him? But this bread he offers has to be eaten. It's no good leaving it on the plate. It has to be taken up by the person wanting spiritual life. If you are speaking spiritual nourishment, then ask, have you eaten of this bread and are you continuing to eat of this bread? And then secondly, Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the great protector. It is through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone that salvation and spiritual protection is found and through him alone is the door or the gate that people are led safely and soundly in the spiritual freedom, spiritual light and spiritual sustenance. Are you feeding? Unlike others who come only to steal, to kill and to, to destroy, Jesus offers spiritual safety and nourishment. Jesus protects those whom he loves and who loves him. Jesus doesn't just offer a way out, but he offers a way in. And the security offered by Jesus is because he is always in close proximity to those who follow him. Jesus calls all those who follow him by name, just as a shepherd knows his sheep by name. And they know each other. And Jesus is the great shepherd only because of the sacrifice he made, he made for his sheep. And here Jesus is looking ahead to the sacrifice that he must make on that cross. The night or the, the days following his reading of Passover, the Song of Solomon. And the cross is referred to in other parts of the New Testament as a tree, the tree on which Jesus hung. His protective and nourishing love for all of humanity compels him to make the ultimate sacrifice of his death on a tree. Not an apple tree, but a dirty, rugged Roman cross. And just as all shepherds will endanger themselves for the protection and safety of their sheep, so too did Jesus endure the pain and the suffering of the cross so that people can be led into the eternal safety of God's kingdom. And I saw this week an example of a shepherd protecting his flock. I work up in Burley a couple of days a week and because of this silly diversion that they've got going on, it was up near Crow and I was coming back from Burley and there was a flock of sheep on one side of the road and a shepherd on the other side. Now, I've never seen anyone like this. I've seen people shepherding sheep with uh, quad bikes, with motorbikes, on foot, in cars, in the back of utes, in trucks, but never before have I seen anybody shepherding sheep on a bicycle. And he was on a bicycle and the sheep were looking at him for directions. 
His sheep knew him and they were looking to him and he was protecting him or he was protecting them from being run over by some mad Australian in a green fiesta. And are you looking to this great shepherd, Jesus Christ, for safety, protection and guidance? And these are just two examples of Jesus himself saying that he protects, nourishes, gives shelter and loves. Many more examples can be found in the Gospel. And just as there is only one lover for this woman, there is only one saviour for the world. Jesus does not say, I am a true vine. He does not say, I am a good shepherd. He does not say, I am a way, a truth, a life. No, Jesus says he is the way, the truth, the life, the bread of life, the good shepherd. And Jesus is the only light of the world and Jesus is the apple tree and he calls everybody to partake of the nourishment and the shelter that only he can provide. Read on, verse 7. Daughters of Jerusalem, or daughters and, and sons of Pauna, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field in the forest. That's my translation. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Listen, my lover, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. Here now, the beloved addresses her friends and other people, not to be impatient. These women were being persuaded by the beloved not to engage in sexual love until their marriage, until the time was right. Who were they? We don't know. But we do know from the rest of Scripture that sexual love is only for those in a committed, monogamous marriage between a man and a woman. Sexual union between a man and a woman in a committed, married relationship is a picture of the union of God and his people. That's why idolatry, that's why adultery and sexual immorality are therefore idolatry. And then we read, then the beloved calls out, listen, look, here he comes. She's expecting him to arrive at any time. Just like Pip expects Adam to arrive at any time. Or maybe not. Or like I'm expecting young me to arrive. The beloved is waiting for her lover. She has a glimpse of him. But she but he's waiting for his bodily presence to come. And is this not a picture of us as the church awaits Jesus Christ to come again? And before Jesus ascended into the clouds, he said he would be coming again. Not as a little baby next time, but coming from the, crowd, the clouds in great glory, honour, jubilation and exaltation Nobody knows when that will be. 
Of course, there are hints in the Bible, but they're only hints. There's nothing concrete. And we're to wait expectantly and to live lives that are worthy of him now as we partake, there's that word again, partake of righteousness. It's my favourite word. And wait for Jesus to come again. Last weekend, we were in London to meet up with old friends. And it was a blast. We had a banquet uh, in, a China, in a Chinese restaurant that was at one time known as the rudest restaurant in all of Britain. Suits me fine. Food's good. And there were nine adults and six kids in this restaurant and we were having a good time. And we've all, we've all known each other for, what, at least 14 years. And one person wasn't there though. And when we were walking and talking later on, two of my friends, individually of each other, told me about John. John has recently remarried and he and his new wife have been trying for a baby for the last few years. And they showed me the text messages that they've been receiving from him. And it transpires he's giving up on God. That's sad. Because we used to do open air preaching together at Hyde Park and in some of the other parishes that we weren't supposed to be in. And it was all over this issue of not having a baby. Well, that's what his excuse was. So my friends asked for my advice. Some people do. And I said to keep on encouraging, letting John know that while he may have let go of Jesus, Jesus has not let go of him or his wife. And I also suggested that there are probably deeper issues that John's not really talking about and doesn't want to talk about. So my friends, my friends there are are going to continue encouraging John and uplifting him in prayer to the one who will not let go. So be encouraged. I don't know where you are, but don't give up. Encourage others who may be struggling, just as the beloved encourages these other women. See and remember what the lover is like. Be encouraged. Keep going. As Christians, if you're one here tonight, you are to bear fruit by remaining close to Jesus as he is the true vine and we are the branches. And why are we as Christians to bear fruit? As a means of bringing glory to God the Father. So be encouraged and be encouragers of others. And now back to our passage. Verse 10. My lover spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land, the fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. And then finally the lover speaks. My dove in the cleft of the rocks, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. 
catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in full bloom. Have you ever felt like God is far away? Well, you aren't alone. It's an experience that is common to all Christians, whether they want to admit to it or not, at some point or another. I know I've experienced that in the past. But I also know from personal experience that Jesus always comes through in difficult times. Although he may not come in the time that I want him to come or that I think he should come. Because he knows when I need him most. When you're at rock bottom, the only way you can reach is up. And the woman, the beloved, is so expectant, not expectant, she is so expectant of the lover's arrival, she can hear his voice, his tender words. He's calling her to herself, himself. And Jesus Christ is also calling you to himself. He wants you to be a partaker, there's that word, of the good news about him. He wants you to be part of his family, the church. He's ever calling, ever beckoning people to enter into a relationship with him. His love for the church is indicative of verse 13, where the calls the beloved, his beautiful bride, that is the church, warts and all, it's his bride, even though we don't get everything right all the time. And by faith he will see you through. Remember in the Gospels when the disciples were in the storm and Jesus came to them walking on the water? Remember Jesus saying, come, and Peter started walking? That must have encouraged the other disciples, for upon seeing Jesus' power, they started to worship him. So whatever troubles you are undergoing at the moment, they're temporary. And Jesus will see you through. Be encouraged. And Jesus is praying for you. Did you know that? He will come to you, grow you and help you through your troubles. But by being obedient to God, you can then encourage other people by showing your salvation and showing that faith is not blind, but it is active and proactive. And Jesus wants to hear your voice talking to him. Not just for half hour in the morning over breakfast, but all day long. We are to yearn to talk to him 24 hours a day. Prayer is a 24-hour communication exercise. And prayer according to the Church Father Augustine. I would have had a PowerPoint, but I couldn't get it to work. Prayer according to Augustine is a constant yearning for assistance and the strengthening of desire towards the ultimate goal, the goal of eternal happiness and worship and knowledge of Almighty God. God assists us as we pray by correcting and strengthening those yearnings. And prayers express desires and thoughts in a contributory way to the journey we are on. Are on. That means tell Jesus how you're feeling, both in the good 
and the hard times and in the in-between times. Tell him of your wants, your needs, your cares, that his arms surround you. To him your voice is sweet and dulcet. Even an Australian accent is dulcet. Your face to him is as a delight. Did you know that? Even mine. Seek him, ask him, talk to him. If you don't seek and don't ask, you probably you may not get. And that is how you are also spiritually energized. Because when you talk to God, you strengthen your relationship with him. When you and I ask others to pray for us, church unity is then strengthened. And are we not always accused of being a church in disunity? So pray. So how do we recapitulate? In this chapter we firstly saw together the beloved's portrait of the lover and how he feeds, nourishes, protects and shelters her. And we see this as an encompassing picture of Jesus and his love for his people, the church. And then we saw how the beloved lady encouraged others to wait and see this tremendous lover. That is why we encourage one another and spur one another on as we see the day approaching when the bridegroom returns, when Jesus comes again in glory. And then lastly, we saw how the bridegroom, this Jesus, loves to hear the voice of the beloved and gaze into her face. Jesus Christ, the great lover and bridegroom, loves to hear our voices as we express our love, gratitude, cares, worries and feelings. And in Revelation chapter 22, right at the very end, not when he says, I'm coming soon in verse 20, but there is a verse there where he says he's going to wipe away all your tears. And if he wipes away all your tears, your face will be in his hands. And you'll be able to look at him face to face. And so, as we conclude, what do we do with all this? Jesus is the only nourisher, protector and feeder. Jesus Christ, the apple tree. It's a good title for a sermon. Provides for all your needs, your nourishment, gives you strength, protection and comforts. And I don't know what situation you are in at the moment. This credit crunch, this, this economic crisis is affecting everybody in some way. And I guess there are probably three kinds of people here tonight. Firstly, there will be those who, who don't know this Jesus Christ personally. And if you're in that category, do not leave here tonight without asking one of the leaders or your friends here about how you can get to know this Jesus more. The time is short, it is getting shorter, and when Jesus comes again in clouds, the time will be too late. So the time is now. And secondly, if you're in need of some love, some protection, some nourishment, then don't leave without having prayed with somebody or letting one of the leaders know of your needs. As Jesus himself said, ask, seek and knock. 
Jesus Christ is making intercessions for you. He's praying for you as he knows you. He feels your cares and your worries and he knows what you're going through. And he will wipe those tears from your face as he holds your face in his hands. And finally, if you're not in either of those situations yourself, you will know somebody who is. Will you not? So therefore go and encourage those you know who are struggling and are in need of protection and comfort. This week, go and tell somebody the good news of this Jesus Christ who doesn't know him personally. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for, for these words that you've, you've given us from Genesis to Revelation. We thank you that, that they're reliable, consistent, secure, that through them you guide us, lead us, teach us. And we also thank you for your living word, Jesus Christ, that he is this, this uh, uh, tremendous lover and we eagerly await that day when he comes again, when he comes riding in the clouds in glory and honour and majesty and exaltation, when he comes as a king and not as a baby, when he will take our faces in, our hand, in his hands and wipe the tears from our face, the tears of sorrow. Help us, those of us who are going through difficult times, to concentrate and focus on him, him who is praying for us and strengthening us and nourishing us and protecting us. And help us to comfort others and to pray for others and to lead others to him for we ask all this for the sake and for the glory and for the name of the mighty King Jesus Amen Fantastic, thank you Dave